Welcome to the Heroes Church Podcast. Our vision is to build Christ-centered communities of imperfect people for the city. Now, let's listen to Pastor Z as he shares the scripture message. All month of November, we're looking at certain feelings, emotions, and longings that we have, especially as we walk through tough times. This pandemic has given rise to a lot of stress, a lot of anxiety, and with it, we also see a lot of mental health issues that we experience. And so what we want to do pastorally and as your friend, we'd love to walk through different Psalms that reveal to us how close God is to us when we are troubled, even when it doesn't feel that way. And today we are looking at Psalm 10 and addressing the feeling of helplessness. I've been monitoring my diet recently, so I've also been looking at, I guess, the theme of health in terms of physical health. So I'm looking at outlining today's message along these lines. And from Psalm 10, we immediately see the recipe for helplessness. The psalmist opens up with his need to address God, to confront God with the biggest question many of us ask in troubled times. Why, God? Why? In the opening verse, his why is very specific. Why, Lord, do you stand so far? Why, Lord, do you pay no attention during times of trouble? Why, Lord, are you not here? This is one of the most real, straightforward, honest questions we can ever ask. Sometimes, because we are living in a religious culture, growing up in a Christian home, sometimes that question is not even allowed. We are told, do not question God. We are told, do not doubt God. But if that is the case, Psalm 10 verse 1 wouldn't even be in the Bible. If there is no room for questioning God, if there is no room for asking God why, then this wouldn't even be here. But we have this verse, we have this passage, and we have this connection. The part of the recipe of helplessness is the sense, is the feeling that God feels far during troubled times. You know, as a pastor, or even as a friend, and I'm sure you've experienced it even if you're not a pastor, sometimes you, you listen to somebody going through tough times, and they're opening their hearts up to you. And then you want to be able to comfort them. And in a religious setting, especially if the other person is Christian, and you're a Christian as well, you tend to want to offer them the presence of God. You want to remind them that God loves them. And of course, all that is done with good intentions. But what we don't realize sometimes is to some people, that feels very far from their experience. And we have to be able to allow that. We have to be able to sense that. We have to be able to connect with that. And that's why whether you're someone going through the trouble or whether you're someone who is sort of the indirect receiver of the trouble because someone is confiding with you, 
we have to recognize that sometimes it's not so easy, it's not so automatic for people to have a clear sense of God's presence. And in troubled times, sometimes the opposite is what feels real to the person. Rather than God feeling near, he feels so far. Rather than God caring, he feels absent. And so we have to be discerning. We have to be honest. We have to be open to this dynamic. And when someone feels God is far, that is a recipe for helplessness. What else? Well, the first half of this psalm is really all about this feeling. And if you look at verses 2 to 3 and 5, you will begin to see another easy recipe for helplessness. And that is the wicked have their way. The wicked have their way. In verse 2, it says, the wicked arrogantly chase the oppressed. This talks about injustice. This talks about how possibly people are taking advantage. How there are people in power who are ruling and amassing more power while the people who are powerless are losing whatever little power they have. Verse 3 talks about the wicked man boasting because he gets what he wants. And we find this, if we're not careful, we begin to see that even a lot of beautiful packaged self-help ideas or self-help perspectives is rooted in boasting. Rooted in the ability to think and will oneself into getting what we want. And so if you think about it, when you see successful people, and they may not necessarily be, you know, doing behaviorally immoral things, but their success is driven by the self, driven by boasting, driven by the sense of exerting human will and effort to get what they want and they're getting it and you're not getting yours, there is a sense of breaking inside. There is a sense of helplessness. Why can't I be like that person? Why can't I be so courageous? Why can't I will myself to success? And so what begins to happen is there becomes an unhealthy comparison What we don't realize is the decisions of a singular individual to affect success in their lives is not rooted to that decision. There are a lot of factors into play. And even economic theory and development of how success happens in business or in nations reveal to us that there already exist pre-existing conditions. There are trends that work side by side outside that main proprietor's decision to allow success to happen. But from our position of looking upwards to these people, from our position of comparing ourselves to what they preach, we immediately fall into thinking, aha, uh -huh, they're getting what they want so easily. And in verse 5, we find that in the perspective of the psalmist, The wicked man is secure at all times. He has no regard for God's commands and he disdains all his enemies. And so the wicked prospers. And connected with that, 
what we're really getting at here is not necessarily wicked in light of just outwardly manifesting behavior or wrongdoings. The psalmist categorizes the wicked as unbelievers. The wicked man is so arrogant, he always thinks, God won't hold me accountable. He doesn't care in verse 4. And this is the danger. This is the danger of a lot of this new, strong, thematic, youthful movements that we should not care about what other people say and that we should always be thinking about the other person's perspective is wrong towards us. So if someone feels negative towards us, then it's their perspective that's wrong. It's them who have a problem and not us. And if you're not careful, you're going to miss the generational change. People are calling it the woke movement. People are becoming more woke. And, you know, we have to be able to sense what this perspective is saying and really be sensing what's in our hearts. So I wouldn't be so quick to judge and don't take these qualifying adjectives as something that creates a stereotype for who these people are. Because I'm telling you, the people you're categorizing immediately as wicked or unbelievers, maybe the people that don't really affect you. And because of that, they really hold no influence over your life. This passage is talking about observing people who demonstrate great success, demonstrate great powers, and are negatively influencing the psalmist's life and driving him to helplessness, making him feel that God is so far, making him feel that God doesn't care, while all these people are getting more power, getting more wealth, and are feeling so free that God cannot hold them accountable. And these are the recipes for helplessness. We begin to compare ourselves with others. Why them? Why not me? And we try, we do, we fake it, thinking we will make it. But it doesn't work for us. We are slowly going to be driven to helplessness. And the sense of helplessness is real. I'm sure a lot of cases today regarding mental health are really categorized by the sense of helplessness. I can't do anything. I'm just one voice. I'm just an unimportant, non-influential entity. And we look at celebrities, we look at influencers, we look at politicians, we look at successful people, and we're like amazed by the lifestyle that they live, by the powers that they have. And we look at our own lives today, and there's a sense of shame, a sense of weakness. And if we're not careful, that's going to eat us from the inside out. And the psalmist is opening up this sense of vulnerability. And we quickly learn that as he does open this to God, there becomes a transformation. And so from the recipes for helplessness, we now look at the ingredients of hope. We find this from verses 12 onwards. Where does the psalmist draw hope from in light of this sense of helplessness? Number one, he looks at the Lord's power and might. In verse 12, 
he calls out a battle cry, Rise up, Lord! Rise up, O God! Strike him down! Do not forget us, the oppressed. There's a cry. There is a rallying battle cry up to God, mimicking battle cries when Israel was facing other nations in battle, and he's asking God, do not forget the oppressed. There's so many bright stars, so many bright people, so many powerful, wealthy, successful influencers. And it's going to be easy to be swayed by their glitter. It's going to be easy to be led by their gold. But the psalmist finds hope in looking at the best influencer of all, the most powerful being of all, and he looks at the Lord. When we see God in his proper place, when we are able to order the hierarchy of success, wealth, power, money, and who really is on top, then we will find hope because we might be here at the bottom and people we idolize on top of us, but when we see God higher than anyone else, that gives us hope. And I'll tell you why later. But look at the second ingredient. He also looks at the Lord's vision and character. He doesn't only call out to God, who of course has that almighty power, but he looks at how he knows the Lord sees, how he knows the Lord's character. And in verse 14 and 17, we, we say, uh, we see the psalmist saying, you have taken notice for you always see one who inflicts pain and suffering. The unfortunate victim entrusts his cause to you. And what does he call God? You deliver the fatherless. Lord, you have heard the request of the oppressed. You make them feel secure because you listen to their prayer. When it feels so helpless and it's just so overwhelmingly crushing, let's remember the Lord who watches over his creation, who sees the plight of the oppressed and the wrongdoings of the unjust. And let's recognize that our God is a savior, a father to the fatherless. Do you know this God? Do you know that God is not only the creator, but God is not only the controller, the sovereign of the world, but he's also the one who cares for the weak, for the poor, and the oppressed. We need to be able to remember that because that is one of the ingredients to draw hope from. And lastly, the psalmist focuses on the Lord's sovereignty and control. Verse 15 and 16, he says, Break the arm of the wicked, hold him accountable, which he thought you would not discover. In verse 16, the Lord rules forever. The psalmist recognizes the realities of the world around him. Doesn't run away from it, doesn't avoid it, doesn't deny it. 
Rather, he comes to God with these realities. And in that practice of coming to God, he begins to experience the transformation of what it means to draw hope from the Lord's power, the Lord's character, and the Lord's sovereign control. And that's why it's so important to be able to come to God with our concerns, with our objections, with our anxieties. It's not wrong for Christians to have anxieties. We just need to learn what to do with them. And that is why this November, we're looking at the healthy diet of lament. And what we find here in Psalm 10 is the beautiful lesson that when the psalmist comes to God and he practices that prayer to express his grief, express his needs, express his observations on the world, we find at least three things that make this practice very healthy. And it's something that I encourage you to do. It's something that I encourage you to learn. Sometimes we're taught because whether you're Roman Catholic or born again, it doesn't matter. You're taught that you shouldn't talk back to God. You shouldn't question God. You shouldn't doubt God. So any negative emotion that you're, that's beginning to simmer in your mind, in your heart, in your soul should be just quickly shut off. But again, something exists because it reveals to us that that is not the case. If you're hurting, if you're questioning, if you're in doubt, this is the perfect recipe to come to God and practice expressing to him all these negative emotions because he's not insecure. He can handle it. And aside from that, three things that make this healthy for us is number one, we learn in Psalm 10 that lamenting gets us in touch with the realities of life. I'm so sad to see that a lot of Christians are so out of touch with the realities of life. No wonder the world thinks we're crazy. No wonder the world thinks we're ridiculous. Because we could just lose touch of the reality. We deny the realities. Thinking this negative energy, this negative emotions, negative feelings is counterproductive to our faith. But lament helps us get away from that. Second, it helps us focus on the Lord. In our position of prayer, in a position of expressing our troubles, our observations to God, in that position, we are moved from the experiences, from the outward view, into the one we're talking to. And that's what spending time with God really helps us do. It stops putting the focus on our challenges. It stops putting the focus on us. It stops putting the focus on other people. But look at the psalmist. He moves from all these experiences, from these realities, and he gets more focused on the Lord and what he can do. And lastly, because of this, we are transformed from helplessness into faith. And isn't that beautiful? Isn't that a strong, loving, beautiful message to Christians? who are experiencing mental health concerns. The anxiety and stress could be high. 
and the experiences you're having might make you feel helpless. But Psalm 10 can show you hope that when we practice lament, we can be transformed from being helpless to the very people that we're called to be, which is faithful, people of faith. And if you're not a Christian and you're feeling anxiety, you're feeling mental health concerns, I hope that this message is a good introduction to you, to the possibilities of our relationship with God. Let me drive this home by sharing what will draw us to such a healthy diet. Sometimes we just need incentive. Sometimes we need to understand how these connections happen. Sometimes we need to see how this is the connection with the Bible, with our lives. And the good news is the gospel reveals that we can be drawn to a healthy diet of lament as we get to know our Lord Jesus. So whether you're a Christian who think you already know this, or whether you're a non-Christian who's working it out, let me introduce to you who the Lord Jesus is and look at how he connects with the recipes of helplessness. Remember, number one, there's a sense that God is absent. There's a sense that God is nowhere to be found in trouble. On the cross, Jesus cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He knows what it means to feel and experience the sense that God wasn't there. And in our case, sometimes it's a feeling only, But in Jesus' case, when sin was being imputed on him on the cross, God the Father, his closest relationship for all time, really had to look away. So in a sense, Jesus' experience of God not being there and him calling out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? was not an emotional outburst that's not related to the reality of God really being not there, but it was really a real moment of being separated from the closest relationship he's ever had. That you and I will never know that feeling. The degree of that experience of Jesus being separated from the Father for that moment on the cross is ultimately larger than any separation anxiety you and I will ever have here on earth. Yet Jesus Christ went through that. And second, Jesus felt and saw that the wicked are having their own way. His disciple Judas just betrayed him and he wasn't stopped. Yes, eventually he hung himself, but the deed was done. And even there was a time when he and another guy, Barabbas, was being selected on who will be given the customary pardon. Guess who got it? The other guy. So if you feel like, you know, you're getting the short end of the stick all the time, if you feel na parang ikaw yung malas, ikaw yung nakakarma, ikaw na lang yung paraging luge, if you feel in despair because you feel that you're always, you know, on the losing end, imagine how Jesus Christ must have felt. And he did no wrong. Sometimes we think, oh, this happened to me because I did something wrong. It's bad karma. We feel this way. You know, sometimes even Christians talk this way. We just think, believe, think black and white, yin and yang, positive, negative. 
good or bad. But, you know, when you look at the gospel, you find that the greatest good experienced the worst bad. And this was part of God's redemptive plan for his people. And lastly, the psalmist said that he sees the unbelievers prosper. Jesus was at a time when Romans ruled the world. And a lot of his believers thought, oh, Jesus will come and save us from the Roman Empire. But even in his own trial, Pontius Pilate washed his hands off the responsibility and allowed the crowd to dictate the unfair sentence for him. Was it political? Yes. Was it a prospering of unbelievers? Definitely. But Jesus went through all that and still knew how to address God, who to go to, and he still went to his father. When we see Jesus in his hardest time, still coming to the father, even though he doesn't feel his presence, it will draw you and me to do the same. And so how do we apply this? Well, number one, do not deny nor avoid harsh realities in our lives. It's okay not to be okay. It's okay to observe negative things. Allow yourself, allow other people to benefit of the doubt that their emotions, their thoughts are real, at least for them, at least for yourself. And allow these realities to be laid down in prayer to God. And that's why we can come to the Lord in anguish and despair. Don't need to come to God always strong. Don't need to come to God always in the right mood. When you talk to people in your work, in your home, you don't come to them and always address them with a very sunny disposition. Sometimes when you do that, that even shows there's something wrong with you. That's why it's the same. If you want a real experience with God, if you want a powerful encounter with God, then let's come to God with our despair, with our losses, with our anxieties. And as we come to God, let us open our realities, our anguish, our despair up. And when we experience His presence, trust in His character, trust his judgment, trust in his love. Let us pray. Dear God, the world around us is oftentimes messy. We are not always the people we want to be. And the favor and the odds are not always for us. And worse, it's the other people who are amassing more wealth. It's the other people who are claiming promotion. It's the other people who are not trusting you, who are seemingly moving forward. And these realities hurt us. These realities weaken our faith. So Lord, we ask that as we draw to you and open up this lament that you will come and hear us 
set things right. And we pray the Lord that if that means setting our minds, hearts, souls, emotions right, then so be it. Help us, Lord, to focus on your goodness. Help us, Lord, to focus on your character. Help us, Lord, to focus on your sovereignty and trust it so that we can be people who are transformed from helplessness to hopeful faith. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.